Time again, welcome back to Range Anxiety, 30 years of automotive tuning experience and general carrying on in around 30 minutes, a couple of times, several times a week, and that was the theme from Rawhide, the Blues Brothers, who remembers that? What a fantastic movie, rolling, 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 and yep, that's what we did on the weekend, as promised, we got those cars ready, well we got one of them ready, yep. I failed. We failed on the Audi and it wasn't our fault. Turns out we had a mismatch of engine wiring harness and printed circuit board in one of the slave ECUs. The way the any Audi aftermarket system works is that you have a master, well, factory, they have an ECU per bank so that each factory ECU runs five cylinders of the engine. Very, very, very common in European stuff. Been that way forever since the old, really, really old BMW V8s and V12s from back in the day, like the, oh, what, the V8 series coupe, I reckon it was. Yeah, they had uh, they had two ECUs per bank, so did the 750 IL, and, and it's carried right through. All Ferraris do it, um, the Lamborghinis, Audi R8s. And when we move to the aftermarket system, we have like the master 12 cylinder engine controller, which then goes to two slaves that sit in the engine bay and then plugs into the factory connectors. And unfortunately, in this instance, we had a mismatch. One of the slaves wasn't uh, quite correct for the wiring loom so that when we went to crank the car and fire it up with the software, the right software in it, it would fire momentarily, splutter for a second and stop. When we looked at it, the Sosivec software is that good. You can view the sync log and it wasn't seeing bank two intake cam sensor signal. So we just had a flat line and without it, the, the factory ECU will run if you have a faulty cam sensor, just in a reduced power mode, but the Sivex won't because the way it works is it needs to know the cam position the whole time. So yeah, we just had a fire stop, fire stop, fire stop. And I'll give it to the guys from Cyvex. We're very, very good. They logged in with TeamViewer from Dubai, would you believe, even though they were English, the technical director there, who sort of a mate of mine, someone I've got a lot of respect for anyway, Ryan Griffiths. He uh, logged in, went through it and said, look, um, it's actually our stuff up and we'll ship the right past you straight away. As it was, it was no great disappointment to me. I've got a great relationship with those guys. And when you're doing really technical, really in-depth stuff, shit happens and shit did happen this time and they got us a new system underway already and that's no problem and you'll see us out there next meeting but as it was i was really really focused on the gdr because that was quite a difficult thing to fit as i said it was stuffing an octopus into a jar oh it was highly technical and highly tight and even though it fits both left and right hand drive some of the acrobatics with the oil drain around the steering knuckle and various other things in that location were um, difficult to put it mildly. Yeah, I think difficult's a good way to explain it. And uh, Gareth got it done because he did with a bit of grinding here and a bit of grinding there and all sorts of right angle fittings and all sorts of things that look like they're not going to work. But, you know, to Gareth's uh, credit, he knows a lot about these cars and adapting right hand drive or left hand drive kits to fit 
right-hand drive GDRs, and yep, he got it to work. And we got it in there, and we put it on the dyno, and yeah, it tuned up real easy. I mean, that's the beauty of the factory GDR ECU. You give it a target lambda, and you set the boost up the way you want it, and you can have whatever size turbos you want on it. It just works, and it just worked beautifully. And we ran it up, you know, to the limit. I wasn't allowed to talk about power before we went because the car's owner and my business partner, John Munro, was like, oh, let's keep it a secret, and that's cool. It's his money. He can do what he wants. And uh, we ran it up to the limit of the six factory fuel injectors, and the standard uh, in-tank sort of three-pump, it's got a four-systems uh, three-pump three in-tank setup in it. We ran it up, you know, to the limit of those components. You know, ran a pretty mild 28, 29 PSI boost in it. And it made, quite easily, it made like a strong uh, 1,250 horsepower at the wheels and, until we ran out of, so we run these things in fifth gear to try and get some semblance of traction in them. And it ran out of speed on the rollers with another three, four hundred, maybe five hundred RPM left up at sleeve, so it's quite safe to say it's a thirteen, you know, hundred horsepower at the wheels conservative car, which is really, really nice. On on subtle boost. You know, I'd I'd like to be putting thirty-five into that, but this is its first outing. And and to compound things even more, John had to take it Friday lunchtime, had to go to a car show that he thankfully ran for me because I was stressing out doing Roll racing preparedness and general customer things. He went and ran the car show, but he drove his car from work, maybe, you know, 35 kilometres, 20 miles to the show, sat there, talked about it with people Friday night and Saturday, then at three o'clock Saturday, pulled it out of the show in the empty spot where his car was sitting, put a sign there that said, gone roll racing, drove it 125, 130 kilometres. So, you know, uh, 80 miles to the track, raced all night nothing broke nothing went wrong amazingly so did really really well jumped in it and drove it all the way back to where he lives which is about you know another oh 80 miles i actually drove it back to work and got another quieter car because he lives in quite a leafy suburb and you don't really want that gdr bellowing down the neighborhood at midnight very very um caring guy john is for his neighbors and yeah, nothing went wrong. We were really surprised about that. I expected to see problems with clutch slip. I expected to see problems with, you know, it's only got a, a reasonably small clutch in it. It's got a reasonably small fuel system in it. It's running 21-inch tyres on road wheels. You had the stereo going the whole time, the air conditioning most of the time. And it just did really, really well. First run, didn't look so good. He takes off, I'm standing there. I stand there like the you know Grim Reaper towards the end of the track, ready to catch the bits as they come flying off these things. It came past, it sounded like shit. Like, oh god, no, it's misfiring. And I could just see in the back of my mind then pulling the top hat off the motor, as you have to on a GDR, and putting plugs in it. Luckily, I had my chief spanner, Paul Howes, on there with me. Um and I was going to make him do it, but but I had a bit of a think about it, um, and I thought, hey, John, what mode were you running this in? And he did what I told him, and I, being all carried away and, and not thinking, because my mind was on other things, I got him to leave the traction control system in race mode, and sure enough, the thing was making that much grunt, it was determining that it had wheel slip up towards the deep end of the track and was cutting out. So I said, okay, let's go out for one more run, the VDC completely off this time, which he did, and yep, 
smooth as a hot knife through butter. Bang, bang, bang through the gears. Perfect. Looked quick, went quick. You know, it is quite a savage device. Um, where do we finish up? We finished up, uh, I think, fourth or fifth or something place, which was, I think, a pretty good effort. You know, people are going, oh, that sort of horsepower you should have won. Well, quite possibly. Uh, probably the car that did win had that kind of horsepower. The problem is, and I'll get onto this a bit later, is that we're carrying a shit ton of weight. We're like, you know, pushing 4,000 pounds. Uh, at race weight with driver and a full tank, it probably would be 4,000 pounds when you're on, you know, high 1900s in the kilograms. And that's going to take the edge off anything when the cars you're racing against of similar power are, you know, 500 kilos, 800 pounds lighter than you. You know, like, it takes the edge off or 900 pounds lighter than you. And so all we were hoping for was a good, clean, solid result that, and Gareth's giving me some hand signals in the background. Oh, yeah, I, w I would say what they were, but we'll leave that for another epicast. It's quite funny. We've got some sign language going over the years. We've worked together that long and in a loud dino bay, we can, it's not like Ausland. It's not quite like the, the, the wonderful signing skills that the hearing impaired have. Ours are just more basic and stupid. However, more of that later but the car ran really really nicely and it was fast down the deep end you could see it could it could pull or line or not get walked by anything absolutely anything which is really really good where we did struggle because we don't use rolling anti-lag in this car because i don't let john do it one it's too many sets of buttons but he is quite good at that stuff i've just been spoiled over the years with drivers that aren't very good at that stuff so yeah, we'll let John have rolling anti-lag, but that comes at the cost of of transmission life and all sorts of other things. I mean, the way it works, for those of you that don't know about the social motorsport of a roll racing, is that, you know, you drive off at like 20, 25 mile per hour around there, 40 k's or whatever it is, an hour, and, you know, there's a leader and a follower, and you've got to hold that speed, and the lights can go green at any time once you're up to roll speed, and... It's very, very hard in a GDR to keep it in the sweet spot of first gear without it automatically changing up. You say, well, why don't you drive it in full manual? If you do drive it in full manual, it's really, really hard because when you get on it in first, accelerate so fast, you've got to have the timing of a, a whip it, you know, the reflexes to, to pull second instantly to stop it banging the limiter. Because as soon as you bang the limiter, you, you lose that uh, momentum that split second of effort and bang, your, your opponent's gone. So John was kind of struggling with that and I kind of don't blame him um, because first gear's a little bit too short and second gear's boggy and way too tall. So th the way to get that car working in the future will be to, um, we can use the Cobb um, rolling anti-lag, which means you get up to your set speed where you want it um, just hold cancel in on the cruise control, go flat on the throttle and it pops and bangs and carries on and holds that speed, but builds boost. So as soon as you let go of the cancel button, poof, away it goes, like it's fired out of a gun. And that's what we will do. We'll do that to make him a little bit quicker. We'll take these, they're beautiful looking 21 inch rims on it with steamroller 325 like Pirelli road tires that obviously due to the traction control kinky in weren't gripping that well anyway. We've got some lightweight 18s we'll put on it with um, race style tyres. Uh, I mean, the whole the whole 
roll racing thing is of having to run road tyres has been just been totally blown out the window. Um, none of the top 10 that I could see, apart from John's car, were running anything that was a road legal tyre. No, drag radials are not road legal. No, cross-ply um, drag tyres are not road legal. Like, you know, settle down, don't get carried away. So, you know, it's it's basically, a, a, because it's a social motorsport, it's a liars competition, and that's cool. You know, all motorsports that way. you got to push push the limits and just sort of roll on the edge of reality as much as you can. <laughs> so we'll put some lightweight wheels and tyres on. We'll do all that stuff. We'll get the rolling anti-lag going. But, I, A, I'm not going to put any more power into it, so I don't want to break the gearbox. And the fact that he can drive it there and drive it home is a real credit. It is a genuine streetcar. And I'm not going to strip the interior either because any doofus can do that. You know, other GDRs that we're racing against had, had lightweight seats, lightweight interiors, lightweight panels. But to me, that's not what it's all about. This car, John's GDR, or our Powertech tuning GDR, we always called the businessman's pack. Because apart from being a little bit on the obnoxiously loud side, it drives, runs, idles like a standard car. You know, you can put 98 fuel in it if you want, and you can blend mixes of E85 if you want. It's a... Uh, it's just a genuine thing where the air conditioner works beautifully, the power steering works beautifully, it does everything, it does everything really, really well. And here's John walking up to my window now. I'll be five minutes. Yes. Okay, John. Um, and it does everything well and it does everything like it should, and, and that's what we like about it. So I'm not gonna ruin it. I'm not gonna make a race car out of it. If John wants a race car, he can get another GDR and make it a race car. So that brings me to the whole thing. People constantly talking about, oh yeah, I've got the fastest street car or I've got the fastest this or I've got the fastest that. Um, if you want to push the point, the definition of a street car is, can be one of two things. Is it something you can run the gauntlet with and drive on the street just? And you know, you see Americans and my American listeners, they get some you know, big-ass race cars, and they cruise them through uh, McDonald's drive-throughs and stuff to show that they're street cars, and, you know, that some of their laws are a bit more lax than ours. So you can do, do we push a gauntlet like that, or do we do, it is actually a street car, which means in Australia, the nanny country, it has to meet the Australian design rules of the time that it was manufactured, and that means the emission regulations of the time. It's got to have wheels and tyres of the time, unless it's engineered, and, you know... So the whole streetcar thing, it, it's it's something that's raved on about a lot in Australia um, because our rules are so tight. But, you know, you can interpret it any way you want. And, and I kind of, the way I see it, a streetcar is a car that you take from any era that you can modify and you can do whatever you want with, but it doesn't lose any of the drivability that it had when it was made, which means if it went, if it went 300 miles, you know, 500 k's on, on a full tank of gas or, or fuel, then it should still be able to do that. A streetcar doesn't have wheel tubs in the back. A streetcar doesn't have 15, 18-inch wide rear wims, rims when the car came with 4-inch or 4.5-inch rims on it. It doesn't have a fuel cell. It has a proper tank. It doesn't have a gutted interior. It has door trims. It has all of those things. And that is my definition of a streetcar. Now, it's not everyone's, and a lot of people will be saying, oh, Martin, you're just a stupid old man. And look, I probably am, because I like 
cars with heated seats, comfortable seating, air-conditioned seats at times even. And, you know, I like the nice things. And it was really, really good to, to see John out there without compromising anything in his car. The only thing we've done to the interior of that car is put a fire extinguisher in it, which I think is a safety thing. And most cars, particularly anything that's modified with, that has a modified fuel system, should have. It'll still drive up there and bank, you know, without needing to be constantly filled up or parked on the side of the road or not just driven out and put on the side of the road to look like it's driving out then put on a trailer. You get me? So, yeah, I mean, that's going to anger a few people, the fact that my interpretation of a streetcar is different to theirs, but I really don't care. Some other things that I think need to be looked at with this sport, we'll get onto the sport itself, roll racing, which is a great thing. There are a lot of people... Well, I saw it about three or four times. The drivers hanging out the windows of their cars at 100 mile an hour, or with at least their shoulder and their arm out, gesticulating, making hand signals at the person next to them. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, coming from a traditional motorsport background, you never, ever, ever hang any part of your body outside of the car. And, in fact, when you race, if it's in a road car... They call it death glass if you have your window halfway down. It's either got to be fully down or fully up. Because if you hit your head or hit part of your body on a window that's halfway up, it will kill you. It'll make a mess out of you and it's not very good. So I would like to see the rules change for it so that people can keep their bodies inside the cars. Because if something goes wrong and someone gets hurt and someone loses an arm, um, the sport won't keep going on or it might not you know there might be some insurance implications so i know it's exciting when you race your mates and and you beat them but for god's sake respect the fact that you got two arms and, and don't try and give one of them away let alone looking across the lane when you're doing you know 100 mile an hour 160 k's an hour plus 120 miles an hour 200 k's and gesticulating at your friend just do it in the slowdown area you know because otherwise we'll all lose this social sport that is so popular and doing so many things for the state's local motorsport economy. Some people don't call it a motorsport, but it kind of is. It gets a lot of people out there, gets a lot of people building cars. So what else did we take out there? We took our Tesla Model S um, Raven. That was a backup car in case the GDR or for when the GDR broke something, which it didn't. So that didn't actually get much use. It did four runs or three runs. It won them all. It knocked off, I mean, it, people were very, very surprised that it knocked off a 10-second 55 Chev, which was a bloody nice thing. The guy had done a real nice job of building this car. And, uh, yeah, he just couldn't put it down like the Tesla can from, from the roll, from the dig kind of thing. And, uh, as John said, we didn't hang around to chat from the start and uh, didn't look back once we were going. And, you know, he was quite surprised that his 10-second Chev got beaten by a standard road car but what he didn't understand that that is also a 10 second standard road car and having seen its performance and having seen the performance of the big boys i can't wait till we get our played edition hopefully the played plus we'll get not the normal played with the 1100 and something or 1200 horsepower or whatever it is that will trap in excess of 155 mile per hour across 400 meters Everyone knows that the electric cars do their best work at the first half of the track and tend to taper off for a bit towards the last half, which means if it's 160 mile an hour capable plus down the deep end, then it's going to be an absolute bullet across the eighth. And I will bet good money on it 
that this thing on its as delivered from the factory without any of the tweaks that we've got upcoming for this will be able to go out and win one of those events straight up yep so you heard it here first hopefully we have ours by the december meet and you know as soon as we have it there it'll be sitting in the shed plugged in just getting up to optimum charge temperature ready to rock roll and kick some butt so what else is there well this week hopefully we're going to finish off the audi the new civic should be here and it's going to be seamless that's right i've had my troubles with that car so it's going to be seamless and we're going to take that out we're going to tune it up very conservative i don't want to see any more than eight maybe now that we get a proper computer we'll go to the limit of the the fuel system which is supposedly 900 wheel horsepower and the limit of the standard clutches in the trans with the trans flash is is uh, apparently 1100 horsepower i'm getting this on good advice so we will see that car out there 900 wheel horsepower it's not enough to do much at a roll racing meeting i mean it's enough to make a beautiful car but people forget the way these cars work and the synergy of those cars and 900 wheel horsepower in a lambo slash audi is every bit as good as 1200 1300 horsepower in a gdr uh, they're gearing, and I think I've rabbited on about this before, they're gearing, the amount of gears they've got, the way they change gears, and the way they cut the air is pretty darn phenomenal. So I would expect to see Danny's R8 V10 up the pointy end of the field. So when are we going to see that? We're going to see that in exactly two weeks, or less than now, about 12 days. Valentine's Day, or the night before Valentine's Day, Saturday the 13th of February, we're going to be hitting the track again and we're going to be making some noise and some numbers in that car so yeah i mean i will i will because there's going to be no great secrets everyone knows what this car's got on it and what we've done with it so i will be posting some videos and some information about that i mean the car made 500 rear wheel horse oh, sorry all wheel horsepower standard i'd like to see about 800 wheel horsepower all wheels and a main line that should make it ballistically fast it won't sound much and it won't you know it won't look like it's going but it will cut the air like nothing on earth and it will be on song through those gears and it it should be a phenomenally fast package so there you go that's it for range anxiety today bit of a shorter episode because i am a little bit worn out after the weekend you know i was up till midnight two nights in a row which for an old man is really asking something else the feedback's been great though um silver fox thanks for that and i've got a potential sponsor coming on board big john rob herod from herod motorsport himself we're going to do a little bit more mustang stuff for our american listeners and everyone that knows in australia about big fast factory fords knows the man with the big grin better known as Rob Herod. I refer to him as Thornton Mellon. You can tell me what movie that's out of, a very famous old movie. You can look it up on Google. And the first person that can actually come back to me with an email, and we all know my, my email address. I rabbit on about it constantly. It's dtech at senet.com.au, d-t-e-c-h at s-e-n-e-t dot com whatever i just said the first person that can come back to me with the movie that thornton melon's out of i will get if they go 
to the OTR Super Sprint at the bend, I will get them a pit tour of Dick Johnson Racing, who Robbie is now doing some management work for. Really, really cool. He didn't offer that today. I just offered it today. But I've been friends with Big John, Big Robbie Herod, for a bloody long time. And you know as well as he does, and I do, that I'll be able to make it happen. So, thank you for listening to Range Anxiety. It's been a pretty cool webcast. I had a good story to tell you. John's car's sitting here in one piece. Until next time, more than likely, <laughs> we will see. But thank you for listening.